0: Good morning everyone. Uh, Welcome to church today. My name is Kevin. Short coffee break today, so I totally get it if you haven't found your seat yet because getting coffee is very important. Uh, My name is Kevin. If you don't know me, I am the Aldergrove campus pastor and I'm so excited you're here today. As I look out, I see some people I recognize. I also see some people I don't. And so I want to say if this is uh, maybe your first time at church here or you've just been checking out our Aldergrove campus for a little bit, I want to say welcome here. I realize that coming to a new church walking through the doors of a church for the first time or the second time can be a little bit scary because you don't really know what's going to happen. Are they going to do communion all weird and like noisy-like or like what's going to happen? And so I just want to recognize that it's a big deal. And so welcome here. Uh, Thank you for coming and being a part of our church today. I pray you experience God's presence in a tangible way. We are in a series right now called The Gospel According to Luke. Now, Way before this campus existed, we started a sermon series going through the Gospel of Luke. I want you to guess when we started this series. We've been going through it for a while. It actually started in November of 2020. Today, we are going to finish chapter 13. There are more than 13 chapters in Luke. There are 24, and so we're a little more than halfway through. And uh, so, two and a half years in. And what we do here at North Langley is we, we try and do something what we call exegetical preaching. And that's where we take something like the Gospel of Luke, and we go through it line by line, verse by verse, and we, we try and see what it really says. That way we're not just kind of picking our favorite stories or things that kind of align with what we wish were true or we, that way it kind of forces us to go through the whole thing and to look at the good, the hard parts, the the parts that are maybe a little difficult to preach through. So we call this exegetical preaching and the goal of that is to hear God's word and just hear what it really has to say. Then, what we've been doing over two and a half years is we hop out of Luke and we do something that's a little more topical. We'll do kind of sermons based on uh, a theme or a topic as we try and kind of pull from multiple places in Scripture to see what the Bible has to say. Does anyone remember what some of our more uh, thematic or topical sermon series have been since we launched Ald growth? Anyone remember any? Sorry, what? The tech one? This is Grove. This is Grove. That's right. So we did one where we kind of looked at our values and, and our mission, why we're planting this church. Anyone else have one of our topical messages? Worship. Worship. We went through Abide, and we talked about t- Abide. Today, we're actually going to be overlapping a little bit with Abide because we're stepping out of Abide to come back into Luke, but we're actually going to overlap a little bit as well. Some of the others that were my favorite were, through Christmas, we talked about Jesus the Messiah. And uh, we also had the Leading Together series, which was great. I'm going to refer to that as well. So what we do is we, we try and kind of root and anchor ourselves in an exegetical book like Luke, preach through it. And then because we don't want to do like three years straight of that, we kind of hop out for some of these topical things. But today we're, we're getting out of Abide, which has been our seven-week series on worship. And we're going to talk about Luke. So today we are going to see... That Je- Jesus laments over the stubbornness of the people in Jerusalem. That's where it kind of overlaps. I don't know if you were here two weeks ago. I talked about lament, and that was part of our Abide series. And, and lament means that we can actually bring like, our really raw and our honest, our ugly, our, our difficult emotions like anger and frustration and bitterness, that we can bring those things with us when we talk to God. And it is especially important that we bring those things to God when he is actually maybe the source of some of that, when we feel angry with God or upset or let down, that we can actually bring those things to God and he is big enough to handle those difficult, those difficult emotions. So as Jesus kind of laments over the stubbornness of the people of Israel, I was looking at stubbornness this week, and I came across this story, which I thought was crazy. Uh, in, in September 1986, okay, most of you around in 1986, right? Some of you? Okay. I was around in 1986. There, it's, this is a story about two Russian ships that were scheduled to pass each other in the Black Sea late one night. One was a passenger ship with over 1,200 people on board, and the other was a cargo ship that was carrying oats. And the captains of both ships were alerted about the same time that they were actually on a collision course. Okay? And so they started radioing back and forth. And the one captain was like, you should move, we're going to hit each other. And the other captain's like, actually, I think you should move so we don't hit each other. And this kind of went back and forth. And both captains asked the other to change course, and neither thought that they should have to. Each had their own reasons why the other ship should move. But as the ships got closer and closer, the crews of each ship were like, well, surely the other ship's going to turn, right? Right? Our captain's not letting us. And actually, the stubbornness of these two captains caused the ships to actually collide. It took 45 minutes from the time they were first notified until the ships hit each other. And the passenger ship was hit right between kind of the boiler and the engine room, and it ripped a giant hole in it, and it sunk in under eight minutes. When the rescue efforts were all done, it was determined that 398 people lost their lives because these two captains were too stubborn to turn the ship. Both of these captains were actually arrested for their careless actions, and the stubbornness of these two men cost nearly 400 lives in less than an hour. And today we're going to be talking about how our stubbornness can sometimes have catastrophic consequences. So today, this section of Scripture is entitled, Jesus Grieves Over Jerusalem, or Jesus Grieves Over Jerusalem's Stubbornness. Other translations say it's Jesus' sorrow over Jerusalem, or Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. Or this one's actually my favorite, the lament of the rejected lover. So God is calling out to his people in this chapter, but they are unwilling because they are too stubborn to answer his call. They're too stubborn to yield to their own desires and too stubborn to even see their need. So today is going to be an example of Jesus' lament, and so this is where we're kind of crossing over with lament from the Abide series. Our passage I'm just going to kind of give you a quick overview, and then we're going to hit it kind of verse by verse. Quick overview is our passage starts with Jesus affirming his mission, and that he has a purpose that cannot and will not be thwarted by human men or schemes or plans that he has a job to do, and nothing is going to get in the way of his mission. He's here for a mission, and he's going to accomplish it. And he says, and he then uses a metaphor to describe himself. And he says, I am like a mother hen longing to gather her chicks, longing to gather her stray chicks. And so it starts with Jesus really confirming that he is there for a purpose and a mission, and it ends with him gathering his chicks. I almost called the sermon On Mission to Get Chicks. (laughs) And my wife said, Please don't do that. She said, please don't even say that. So just, she's not here today, so don't let her know. I'd appreciate it. And so let's actually dive in and see what Luke has to say. We're going to be in Luke 13, starting at verse 31. I'm just going to read this through. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you the truth, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So God, we we just ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today. Lord, may your word speak to us. Through today's text, may we better understand your heart for us as a church and us as your individual children. So we invite you to change us today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's look at this, uh, each each of these kind of a little bit deeper. So first of all, it says, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, leave this place, go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Okay, so here's some fun facts about this, this verse. At that time means that it's connected to what came before it. A lot of times scripture does that. It's linked to what came before. And right before, Jesus is talking about the narrow gate. And he says there's going to be a lot of people that think they're part of the kingdom of God, but in fact are not part of the kingdom of God. And then today's text is actually just an illustration of Jesus' text on the narrow gate. Now it was eight weeks ago, I think, that we talked about this last, so it's okay if you don't remember. But today's text is actually an example of what Jesus had just been talking about. And it says that some Pharisees came to Jesus to tell him to flee for his own safety. I think it's really cool that not all the Pharisees are the bad guys. We often think of the Pharisees as the bad guys, right? And I've heard it say that if you've met one Christian, you've met just one Christian. Or if you've met one conservative, you've met just one conservative. And, and I think that this is important because we can't lump people groups together. We can't lump people together and assume because of their religious affiliation, their race, their gender identification, geography, nationality, political party, we can't assume that one group of people is all the same. There were Pharisees who were on team Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is the dinner guest at the house of a Pharisee. Next week, Jesus is going to go be the dinner guest of a house of a Pharisee. Gamaliel is a Pharisee in Acts chapter 5 who follows Jesus, and so although it is common for Pharisees to be presented as the opponents to Jesus, there are many who still follow him. Joel Green says, Luke's mural of the Pharisees is neither finished nor painted with one color. He does not lump all Pharisees together in one composite group character, but as here he can speak not of the Pharisees, but of some Pharisees. Furthermore, Jesus continues to share meals with Pharisees and to instruct them, clearly signifying the possibility and hope that the Pharisees may join him in solidarity with God's redemptive project. I love that Jesus seems to be concerned with the heart of an individual much more than how that individual is identified. And I think that this is a really good reminder for me and for us as we live with people who are different than ourselves. Okay, so some of these Pharisees are saying, go and get out of here. They're saying, you should leave Galilee. Galilee is kind of where Jesus grew up. Nazareth is Jesus' hometown, and and Nazareth is in Galilee. And that is all the region that he has been traveling in and ministering in and living in. It was all under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. And so Jesus would have known full well what Herod was like and who he was and what it was like to live under the reign of Herod. And this is how Jesus replies when Herod's name come up. He says, go tell that fox. Go tell that fox. And Luke, Herod has been kind of a dark shadow. He's been kind of like this ominous presence. But this is the first time we see him as an explicit threat to Jesus. Jesus pegs Herod as a vermin in the Lord's field. A murderer of God's agents. A would-be disruptor of the divine economy. You see, foxes were kind of malicious predators and scavengers. They would prey on small farm animals like hens and chicks. And whenever they had the opportunity, they would come to devour those small farm animals. So Jesus is showing contempt for Herod. See, Herod had married his own brother's wife. Herod Herod had imprisoned and beheaded John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin. And so Herod's living in kind of a world where he can do whatever he wants. He can take whatever he wants, and he will actually hunt those around him who he sees as a threat to his throne. So Jesus knows full well who Herod is, and that Herod gets what he wants, and Jesus calls him a fox. He then goes on to say in the second half of verse 32 and 33, he says, I will keep driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Okay, do you see here that it's actually this three-day language is in there twice? It's in there once in verse 32 where he says today and tomorrow and on the third day. And then again in verse 33, today and tomorrow and the next day. See, N.T. Wright says that this is a picture language which is there to emphasize two days of work and one day of completion. So two days work, one day completion. And Jesus is saying here that this is all planned out. This is all part of the mission. It's part of the carefully orchestrated plan that that he put in place long before this. And he's saying that that this mission is unchangeable and no ruler and no authority can stop it. Not Herod, not that fox. He's not going to change the plan. Jesus knows he's leaving Galilee and he's going to Jerusalem, but he's not doing it because of Herod. That's important to know that he does leave Galilee, but it's because that's part of his mission, not because he's running from Herod. He is on mission to fulfill his purpose, and his purpose is to save his people. And there's that little part about no prophet dying outside of Jerusalem. Do all prophets only die in Jerusalem? Well, no, but I have a couple quotes here. Craig Keener says that Jerusalem was the prophet's only place of martyrdom, was hyperbolic. But it was naturally the center of persecution in ancient Judah. See, putting it so starkly, however, would shock many Jewish listeners because most Jews considered Jerusalem the center of Jewish piety. And Joel Green kind of expands on why Jesus must go to Jerusalem to complete his prophetic mission. He says, Jerusalem then stands as a cipher for Israel as a whole. Hence, not only must it be the ultimate destination of the prophet proclaiming a message of reform, but it is there where the message of reform contrasts most sharply with the accepted beliefs and practices that resistance to the prophet will reach its acme. So Jesus is on a mission. That's what we're seeing here. Jesus is on a mission and nothing is going to stand in the way. He is going to work until it's complete. And then we come to verse 34 where he says, Jerusalem... Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Okay, so part of my sermon prep this week was watching YouTube videos of hens protecting their chicks. It's kind of fun. I I recommend it. Uh, There are some great videos of like mother hens kind of having their wings around their their little ones and protecting them from rain. There was one where it was like like this and all these chicks were under there and other ones where there's just this hen sitting there and you're like, oh, they don't even have any chicks. They stand up and there's like seven under there. It's like, how do they all fit? Um, And and I even came across this story. um, And I thought this was a crazy story. Um, A forest fire came and burnt down a farmhouse in Alberta. As the embers cooled, the the farmer kind of went and surveyed the, the, the barn and where things were. He had a stick and he was poking at things and he found a lump on the ground. And he went over and he kind of poked at this lump and he realized it was a scorched hen, that this hen had died from the flames and he flipped the hen over and out ran three chirping baby chicks. And Jesus uses this metaphor as an example for how he wants to give his life to save his chicks, how he is willing to give his body, how he longs to gather his hens and protect them from the fox. He wants to protect them from the fire. If only they would come under his wings. And it says in today's text that they were unwilling. But Jesus' desire is to to protect and to hold and to save his chicks. And so because of this, because they were unwilling, Jesus laments And he laments about the city of Jerusalem. Jesus laments over Jerusalem, and his mourning comes up, and he shows his sorrow. His deep compassion emerges for the city in this honest and vulnerable lament of how he longs for this to happen. But his children were not willing. He laments that the holy city of God has rejected the messengers and the prophets sent to it. The prophets were the people who were sent to bring God's word to the people, and by killing these prophets, the people are attributing blasphemy or apostasy to the very ones whom God has sent. That is, the people are guilty of working with their own definitions of faithfulness, even when these definitions are contradicted by God's own agents. In this way, they establish how far they are from understanding and embracing God's purpose. See, the people of Jerusalem are just kind of wandering around, doing their own thing, like these little, little chicks, chirp, 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 just kind of doing their own thing and ignoring their mother hen. And, and Jesus is saying is that they, they're, they're following their own ideas of godliness and holiness, but they're actually scattered and wandering and not following the mother hen. And so Jesus describes himself as a mother hen who desires to gather her chicks under the protection of her wings. I think that this is a really amazing metaphor that Jesus uses to describe himself. I love it when the qualities that we stereotypically ascribe to, like, women or to uh, being feminine, are actually associated with God. In the Leading Together series, we talked about how it was men and women together who are made in the image of God, and qualities that we associate with both men and women stereotypically. Are actually qualities that God possesses. God is a mother, nurturing, protective, and fierce when needing to protect his children, and loving and compassionate and drawing her young to herself. That this is actually part of God's character. And so we see in our text today, we see the fox, we see the hen, and we see the chicks. Herod is the fox. And the people of Jerusalem are the the chicks that the fox wants to come and devour. And Jesus is the hen saying to people, I want to gather you. I want to protect you from the fox. I want to protect you from the fire. But you were not willing. Jesus is actually using an image from the Old Testament. Psalm 36 says, how priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. See, this was actually a common metaphor that God used to describe in the Old Testament, protection under his wings. It's also used in Psalm 17, Psalm 51, and even in Ruth chapter 2. Kind of a modern day psalm. I love the song by Need to Breathe. It's called Brother, and it says, Brother, let me be your shelter. I'll never leave you all alone. Brother, let me be your fortress when the night winds are driving on. Let me be the one to light a way to bring you back home like a hen protecting her chicks from a raging fire. So Jesus is saying to his people, I wanted to gather you. You were not listening. You were either too stubborn, too ignorant, too defiant. And so in verse 35, Jesus is like, okay, in your ignorance, in your stubbornness, look and see that your house is desolate. Jerusalem is not the place where righteousness and justice flow. Other translations say that the house was abandoned or forsaken. It is not the place of shelter and safety because they've ignored God's word and the messengers that he sent. David Garland says, Jerusalem is the headquarters of a religious hierarchy that is more interested in preserving their power than in hearing what God has to say. I just pray that this is never true of us. So Lord, may may it never be true that, that we are more concerned with our own our own power, our own place, where we become um, stubborn to hear from you, Lord. And so we even confess, Lord, today that, that there are times where this is true. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you would lead us in a way where this, this, th- this wouldn't happen. And so, God, help us to be concerned with your word and your will in our lives, not our power, not our comfort, not where we stand. Amen. So Jesus is looking at the religious establishment. He's looking at the temple and the leadership, and it's all desolate. There's no fruit there. Nothing good is coming from the place that's supposed to be the religious epicenter. And he wants the people to see that. And this is actually part of the upside-down kingdom, the great reversal. See, the most religious people are not the most holy. The most sacred places are not the place where God's kingdom is lived out. The religious leaders are not the ones that are drawing people closer to God, but are in fact leading them further away. And the holy city of Jerusalem is not the place that is full of godly teaching. In fact, it is empty, desolate, and abandoned. So when we take a step back and we see kind of what Jesus is looking at in today's passage, we see a fox in Galilee, we see a desolate city in Jerusalem, and Jesus is saying, I just want to gather you. Just come come back home. Fill that desolate, empty house. Come back home. Come under my shelter. And as the true king, he wants to bring all of his people under his protection. That is his plan. His plan and his mission is to provide shelter and protection. Protection from evil rulers and corrupt empires and power-hungry religious leader. Protection from foxes. Protection from their own ignorance and apathy. Protection from desolation. Jesus wants to be a shelter, a hiding place, and a safe refuge. So I pray today that we would feel Jesus' lament, that we would feel a little bit of what Jesus feels when he looks at his people and he says, I long so much to gather you, but you are unwilling. Because I think that the same situation is true today. Jesus has come with arms wide open and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But so often we refuse that rest because, like the people of Jerusalem, we want to go our own way. We want to make decisions with ourselves in mind, not thinking about the kingdom and the bigger picture. We are ignorant of our own limitations, and we forget how much more powerful God is than all of our strength. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. Sometimes following God just seems too hard, and we want to take an easier route. Our stubbornness causes us to choose our own path and our own course, even when it's headed towards disaster. And I know that I am often ignorant of the fact that there is an enemy that Jesus calls a thief. And in John 10:10, he says, the thief comes only, this is the only thing the thief does, steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, how much of my pain in my life that I've experienced and that I've caused to other people is because I've ignored the danger that I was stubborn in my attitude and I would not turn off of course, even when I knew it was headed towards disaster. I know I've hurt myself and I've hurt my other and I've hurt others and I've wandered like this aimless baby chick just trying to like go my own way and whatever looks good in front of me. And I've built my own kingdom where I'm in charge and where I know what's best. Dallas Willard says that everyone has a kingdom. Everyone, everyone has a kingdom. And he says, your kingdom is the range of your effective will. The range of your effective will, where do you have influence? Where do you have control, both positive and negative? Where do you have influence that, is, that uh, can, can help lead other people or tear other people down? You have a kingdom, and it's all the people that you can affect in your world. And the question is, how is how's your kingdom doing? Your kingdom might be doing great. And if that is great, then awesome, praise God, that's amazing. But if your kingdom and your city is struggling, know that Jesus laments for your pain. So I ask, what do you need shelter from today? Where, where are the areas where you are feeling maybe lonely or pain? Where is the brokenness and the sin that is maybe eating you up or tearing you apart? Or maybe you're just feeling dry and weary. I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately, that for those of us who have been going to church for a long time, we can kind of develop a bit of an apathetic view towards God. Maybe apathy towards worship, towards the word of God, sometimes even feeling apathetic about the love that God has for us. Because we've heard it so many times for years, for decades, we feel like we've heard it all before. And so if this is you, my, my advice, my, my calling to you would be to let that be your lament. Let that be your lament, to be, Lord, I, I'm coming to church, I'm reading the Bible, I'm trying to live for you, and I just feel so distant. I feel like, like you're not there. Lord, I feel like I'm trying to do the right things that, that, that the church, that the Bible, that Kevin says are going to help draw me into your presence, but I still feel so far away. Why? Why? Why do I, after all these years, still feel like I'm so far away? My prayer would be that you would let that be your lament. That you would bring that lament to the king. Okay, I remember a story, um, this is a time when, when uh, I was in my 20s, um, wasn't that long ago, um, and, and I was in a Bible study with a group of guys, there were four of us, and we would get together regularly and we would kind of dive into the scriptures and we'd pray for one another, and, and I remember that uh, we, we were talking and we felt like we were being called to go deeper, and we felt like we were being called to actually confess our sins to one another, like out loud. And uh, we were like, that sounds like a horrible idea. And then we, we still felt like God was calling us to do this. And, and not just the sin that's easy to confess, but the sin that like, is the shameful, like the, the real baggage, the stuff that you plan to never tell anyone and you're like, I'm taking this one with me to the grave. And we felt like the Lord was calling us to share these things with each other. All of our brokenness, all of our shame, all of our wandering. And so we did this. And and I remember it being my turn. and, and, And it felt like I was vomiting up all these things that I never thought I would say out loud. All of my shame, all of the worst parts of me, all of the things that I was most embarrassed of. And after I shared these things, I actually didn't experience the condemnation that I expected would happen if anyone knew that about me. I thought if anyone knew that about me, they wouldn't want to be with me anymore. But instead, I actually experienced the shelter and the forgiveness and love of my heavenly Father in a renewed and beautiful way. I felt like I was under his protection, and I felt the way I think a chick would feel under the safety of her mother's wings. And this, I think, is what Jesus is longing for and lamenting for his wandering people to experience, to kind of take off the religious facade and the mask and to just be honest before Jesus. And I think that his desire for you is to experience that kind of freedom and safety that comes with being so honest and vulnerable under his protection. To to experience seeing yourself the way God sees you, as a beloved child as an accepted and forgiven son or daughter, as dearly loved and cherished. Church, I want you to know today that you are beloved, that you are accepted and forgiven. You are loved and cherished by our God in heaven. And I'm not trying to say that you have to confess all your sins to someone in order to experience this, but I do believe that coming under the shelter and the protection of Jesus allows us to do things that we would never do otherwise things we couldn't do otherwise. And I do believe that many of us, myself included, I kind of desire this, this living spiritually safe sounds awesome. Okay? This idea that the, the spiritually safe life that is actually predictable, where God never asked me to do anything too hard or too weird or too challenging... And it seems safe and predictable sometimes. And, and so I want to just challenge you that if your faith seems safe and predictable and like God's never calling you to anything hard, I want you to think about, do I think that's what God is actually like? Is that what this Christian journey is supposed to be? Or in my stubbornness, am I maybe kind of keeping God just a little bit further away than I should? Maybe I'm just not quite getting close enough. I liken it to like a little chick running around and and wanting to be close to the mother hen in case something scary happens, but not actually going to the mother hen. Not actually taking refuge in the mother hen. Just being like, she's close, but I still want to do my own thing. She's calling me to herself. She's saying that there's danger, but I still feel great out here, and I just kind of want to keep doing my own thing away from the mother hen. So church, I want you to know that the king can be trusted. And as we look to the cross, Jesus alluded to it in our text in verse 33. He says, in any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jesus will die for the people in a few chapters. Jesus did die for you and for I. And that is his mission. The thing that he was so laser focused on more than anything else was to give his life for you and for me in order to be our shelter. He accomplished his mission by taking your sin and taking my sin and paying for it on the cross. And that's how he's gathering his children to himself. I'd like to invite the band up as I, as I read from Isaiah chapter 53. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed by his wounds you are healed nothing could stop jesus from making a way to make you be able to be healed nothing could stop him from making a way to bring you back home And so I would challenge you to come to the arms of Jesus that were pierced for you and to surrender and to quit fighting, to quit being stubborn, to quit being apathetic or defiant and to come to Jesus and to live under his shelter and let go of our stubbornness and just come and be healed. We have an awesome prayer team if, if you've never experienced the safety and protection that comes with being in the shelter of God, I would encourage you to come and pray with someone on our prayer team. We'll have people at the front on either sides, as well as we have a prayer room that's just across the foyer there. There's amazing people that would love to pray for you. But before I even give you the chance to go pray with them, I encourage you to pray with me. And so I'm going to invite you to stand, and let's pray together. So Lord, I pray that you would tear down our stubbornness. God, may you do a work in each of us today. Lord, we we desire to hear your voice today. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak and that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you, to hear the call, to hear you calling us to yourself. And so, Lord, give us strength and courage to accept that calling and to listen to the call that you've put on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.